0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Believe it or not, we are coming down the home stretch on our Mark series. Just uh, four more weeks, I think. After this, that we will be uh, in the book of Mark. I hope it's been encouraging to you all. I know it has been for me. There's something uh, very encouraging, I think, about working our way through the book, uh, a particular book of the Bible, and uh, you know, not in a prideful way, but in a in a God-glorifying way. To say, Lord, thank you for teaching me. I, I I know more about the book of Mark. I know more about you and what it means to relate to you, as you have described in the book of Mark, and to to have some understanding of that. That's part of why we work through books in this uh, fashion, and typically do from the the pulpit. As you turn there to Mark chapter twelve, we will be looking today at these uh, verses and seeing. God's great commandments, His two great commandments, to love God and love our neighbor. And two big things that will come to light, I think, for us. One is how incredibly convicting just those two commandments are, if we really receive them. And the other is how beautiful, when we receive God's grace and recognize His forgiveness, And his power, how beautiful it is to follow God's direction and seek to live out those commands, to receive that conviction, to receive that direction. I invite you to stand with me in recognition of the truthfulness, inerrancy of God's word and its power in our lives. I'll read aloud as you read along silently, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. You may be seated as you do. Let me pray again. Oh, Father, we ask now that you would specifically help us in this time of seeking to understand, apply your word. Let us receive its conviction and in so doing, find the grace of Jesus. Let, it res- let us receive its direction. And in so doing, more glorify you as we seek to love you and others around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the story is told of a man who caught a glimpse of the afterlife. In that place between wakefulness and... And dreams. He found himself in a room filled with those kind of old file cabinets that used to be in libraries of little tiny drawers of index cards. Author, subject, title is what we remember from those library days. But these files, which stretched from the ceiling all the way to the floor and extended almost as far as this man could see, were filled with something else. They were a careful catalog system of everything in his life. Here were written the actions of every moment and his thoughts. As he saw them there, he was at once intrigued and horrified to recognize that before him was all that he had done, both good and bad. He impulsively Looked over his shoulder to see if anyone else was around to see these. One file was named friends. Another next to it said friends I have betrayed. The titles of others ranged from books I have read to lies I have told to comfort I've given to others. Even jokes I've laughed at. Some of them, like TV shows I watch, weren't so sad for their content but more for the time that they represented wasted some were almost hilarious in their in their exactness things i have yelled at others others weren't funny at all things i've done in my anger things i've muttered under my breath lustful thoughts i've pursued greedy actions I have taken. And he saw one more as well titled People I've Shared the Gospel with. He was intrigued with that one because the handle on it was particularly clean. Had not been opened and closed much, he pulled it open and could count on one hand the number of cards in there. He wondered how it could be possible that so many things had happened already in his short life and been cataloged in this way, and he was startled by it. But there it was, each card written in his own handwriting and signed at the bottom with his signature. So he saw these, he became unnerved. One thought dominated his mind, I've got to destroy these cards. And as he attempted to light them on fire and pull them out of their boxes, they could not be dislodged or destroyed. He fell to his knees, began to weep. And then through tears, he saw him, Jesus, coming into this file room of his life. Jesus, he watched him, Jesus helplessly walking along and Jesus taking the cards out one by one. The man tried to grab the cards back from Jesus to pull them back and say, no, they're my cards. But then he looked down and saw that as Jesus walked by, each one in bright, bold red had written his own name and his own blood. And took his arm even and put it around the shoulder of the man when he had completed going through all these file cabinets and said, it is finished, it is finished. And walked with him out of the room. When we know the commands of God and His holy nature that's reflected in those commands, It's a convicting thing to put our life up against that in contrast, isn't it? Even this succinct statement in our passage today, love God, sounds like a simple thing. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Not a one of us does that. Even for a few moments, probably on any day. And if we do it with our strength, we're probably neglecting to do it with our mind and our soul is not there with us. And at the same time. Loving our neighbor as ourself as well when we put those two in contrast. It is so convicting. But well, what a blessing to receive that conviction. As Mark has been telling us, if you've been with us the last number of weeks, we've seen in the book of Mark that we're building. He keeps mentioning, Jesus does, that he's going to the cross. Peter's even told him, no way, you're not going to the cross. You can't do that for us. Mark ten forty five. All of that culminates what he said so far about the cross. And he says that he's going to serve us by laying down his life as a ransom for many. It's a beautiful thing. When we are convicted, when we see that contrast to recognize that Jesus Christ has laid down his life sacrificially, pound. For pound for you and I. And that's what I want us to see. That needs to be the background, the foundation for what we see in these verses today. You can turn in the back of your worship guide if you'd like and follow along with me and take some notes. The main idea is just this that since Jesus shows us the fullness of the love of God, we should respond in love to God and love to others. Since God shows us the fullness since Jesus shows us a fullness of God's love, we should respond in love to God and love to others. Let's walk through what this passage teaches us. The first thing we see is that just like Jesus said, he's been asked, what's the summary? How do you condense all of these commandments? The, the uh, Jewish leaders were approaching him and they had all of the commandments arrayed. We all have a set of commandments that we live by, whether we realize it or not something we set about to do every day, some kind of moral code that we seek to live by, whatever that is, this man wisely wants to know what Jesus has to say. Shuck it down for us. Bring it home. Give me the condensed version, the cliff notes. Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. And guess what? It's not going to be new information for you. Look back at your own text, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, where it says there's only one God. And you're to love that God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This would have been a prayer that uh, most faithful Jews would pray every single morning when they got up. So Jesus is saying it's just right there. Love God. That's the first of the commandments. It's interesting. He asks them for which is the greatest. And Jesus always, you know, he's going to do his own thing. He's not going to be crowded in by what we want him to do. So he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you two. You're asking maybe for one. I'll give you two. And he says the other part of it is to love others as ourself. Jesus is always saying that this vertical part of our relating, you know, up and down to God, to the living God, has to connect, has to be intricately entwined with the horizontal part of our life, of loving others around us. It's even mapped into the Ten Commandments, if you think about it. Think for a moment about those Ten Commandments, the first three or four. One, Shall have no other gods before you. Two, don't make for yourselves any idols. Three, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Four, honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. What are those all about? Honoring, seeking, loving God. They're about our relationship, if you will, vertically with God. But what's the rest of the commandments about? Are they just rules, kind of do's and don'ts, because God's got to have some kind of standard for us? No. No. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. you ever thought about it? They all are basically ways of telling us to love others as ourselves. If you're lying to somebody, you're not loving them as yourself. Nobody wants to be lied to, right? We're stealing, we're taking something from somebody else. That's not loving others as ourselves. So it's mapped into the whole Old Testament commandment. So Jesus is summarizing these things. And let me say just a little bit more about that. These two always have to be together. That's part of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying we're in big trouble if we try to pull these apart. Think about it for a minute. It's pretty easy to say, I love God. Anybody can say that. Anybody can say that they've got that vertical part, but where do we see it? It's got to be lived out. It's got to be attached to something in this world, in this life. Jesus is uh, wanting us to spiritually live in Missouri, to live in the show-me state. I never understood when we lived there all of what that meant, but part of it is the proof is in the pudding. Show it. Demonstrate it. And Jesus is reminding us here of the danger of the people of God that are around him at the time and the danger for us as people of God that we can easily focus on this, think we've got that figured out, but in reality, not be living out that relationship with those around us in love. Flip side is true, too, isn't it? It can be really problematic to detach what we think of as the love for others around us from the love of God. Why? A couple of reasons. You ever try to love somebody as yourself? To really put their needs before your own needs? I mean, listen to what the the verse says. Love other people the exact same way as we would love ourselves. Not one of us does that. We need power from God. So if you detach, if you just summarize the spiritual life as just sort of caring for the needs of others or trying to bless other people or loving other people and aren't focused on loving God, the whole thing caves in because you got no power to do that. can't do it in ourselves. The other thing is this that part of our love for others around us as believers is a love that speaks truth, even when it's really hard to speak that truth. For people around us, neighbors and family members who are walking along in their life in a way that's not seeking God, not glorifying God, haven't come to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if we just want to try to love them and sort of encourage them, it's kind of like they're driving in a car, they're headed off on a journey, and we know at the end of the road is a huge cliff that they're going to go off, and we pat them on the back and say, make sure to buckle up. Make sure to buckle up as you go down the road. If all we're doing is kind of helping people's emotional needs or saying an encouraging word, but we don't have the Lord at the center, we won't be loving people in a way that seeks to bring them ultimately to encounter a living God. Does that make sense? So these two things are to be attached in our lives. And Jesus says that they are paramount. Turn in your Bible with me if you have it or your digital doodad if you want to. To uh, First John. It's all the way uh, towards the back. First John, towards the back of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. Not John. First John. And I just want you to see... How much, I mean, this whole book of 1 John is all about this dynamic, loving God, loving others, and how Christ's sacrifice for us attaches them. So follow with me. I want to start in chapter 2 of 1 John with verse 1. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then listen to this big word. He's the propitiation. That's a Bible word, churchy word, if ever there was one. This means atonement. This means one who takes our place, who pays our price. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours also, but the sins of the world. Great. He's our He, he provides that grace for us. What does that mean? We just kind of roll right along? Verse 3, no. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his Commandments. Jesus is intimately concerned with the fact that we not only receive that grace, but seek to respond as we just asked our new members to uh, to commit, to seek, to live as becometh followers of Christ, trying to seek to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Chapter three of first John flip over there, verse 11, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What's one of the main commandments John wants to talk about in 1 John? Loving one another. And then jump on down with me to verse 16. By this, of chapter 3, by this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus is mapping the reality of his sacrifice for us. On to his commands for us. And then chapter 4, verse 7. There's a ton more we could read, but I'll keep it short for our time today. Chapter four, first John, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not have the love, does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. There, I I hope that made the point. First John just wants to camp out on this thing and talk about the connection. Of all these things, so Jesus is summarizing all of that when we find him telling us these two great commandments. And the question for us is simply: Is this a central reality for our lives? Do we wake up each day thinking about loving God and loving others? Because I think Jesus was saying that's what we ought to do. Now it can—it's got streams and branches and twigs going out into all different areas of our life, but that's a centerpiece. He's saying. For us, Well, the first thing we see, as I said earlier, when you start to try to do that, if you do wake up each day, try to do that, what's going to happen? Our second point for this morning, the commandments of God convict, don't they? Very convicting. Because most of us are pretty happy with kind of a mediocre, including myself, kind of a mediocre love for God, if you just want to think about the vertical part. I like what uh, Wilbur Reese wrote, and I think it's in your worship guide. Tongue in cheek, he said this. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. It's kind of funny. Kind of right on target too, isn't it? I know for me. Not just that, not just love for God we struggle with, but love for others is a huge challenge for us as well. I think I've read this before, but I'll read it again. Uh, Frederick Buchner has written about the challenge to love and really love those around us. He says the love for equals is a human thing, a friend for a friend, brother for brother. It's to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for those less fortunate, he says, is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, the poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely, lovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, the black man for the white. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then listen to this last part. And then there's love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, even inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love and it conquers the world. I don't have that kind of love. You really take these commandments seriously, what does it do? It brings us to a recognition of how desperately we need one, the Lord Jesus, who perfectly loves and reflects God's love and perfectly loves those around us. When we receive that conviction and we recognize that grace and mercy we have in Jesus Christ, though, it moves us to a third step that Jesus has for us. But these are, after all, commands. They are things he wants us to try to do, even though we'll all raise our hand if we understand them correctly and say, I can't do that. I don't do that. I don't really even want to do that. Jesus, nevertheless, directs us by his commands. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, talks about the way that we can kind of twist if we're not careful and receive the commands, receive their conviction, receive grace, but not respond and not follow their direction. He calls this cheap grace. He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness. Without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. Costly grace. Is the kingly rule of Christ. For whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ. At which the disciple leaves his nets. And follows him. What I want to just encourage you to do is think about these commandments. What would it look like to begin to love God with more of who I am? When it says soul and strength and mind, you can think about each of those components and that's helpful. But it's, it's really saying just comprehensively all of who you are given to God and in every area work, Uh, family, relationships, leisure, rest, our times of joy, our times of suffering, that in all those we would have before us, loving God and loving others as ourselves. Let me finish with one story that I think brings together the love of God and the love that we can have for others and how it can transform lives around us as well. This is taken from the Bible study, uh, women's Bible study teacher, some of you may be familiar with. Uh, Beth Moore is her name. And this is an, ex- an experience that she actually had in April of 2005, waiting for a flight to leave at the Knoxville Airport. Uh, these are her words. I had the Bible on my lap and was very intent upon what I was doing i had a marvelous morning with the Lord. And I say this to tell you that when the Spirit of God is really working on you, you could up, end up doing some things you would never have done otherwise. I tried to keep, she says, from staring at him. But he was such a strange sight, sitting there waiting for the airplane. Humped over in a wheelchair, he was skin and bones. Dressed up in clothes that obviously fit him when he was about 20 pounds heavier. His knees protruded from his trousers. His shoulders looked like it had a coat hanger hanging in his shirt. And his hands looked like a tangled mess of veins and bones. The strangest thing was his hair. Stringy gray hair hang well down over his shoulders. There I sat, trying to not be concerned about this thin slice of humanity sitting in a wheelchair just a few seats over from me. I immediately began to resist because I could feel God working on my spirit and I started to argue with God. Oh God, please don't make me go share the gospel with this man. Uh, Please don't make me witness to him here in front of all these people. I'll be happy to talk to him when we get on the plane and it's just the two of us. We can sit together and talk there. Then I heard it, she says. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. I looked back straight at the ceiling and said, God, as as I live and breathe, I'm your woman. I will share the gospel with him right away. Lord, I'm your girl. What difference does it make if his hair is a mess? If he's not redeemed, I'm going to go talk to him right now. And she says, as clearly as I've ever heard a word from the Lord... This statement came across my mind. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. I looked up at God in my last desperation said, I don't have a hairbrush. It's in my suitcase on the plane. But God was insistent. So I began to walk. I knelt down in front of the man with people gathered all around and said as quietly as possible, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He looked at me and cocked his ear and said in volume 10, Young lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to speak louder than that. So I gathered my breath. And spoke loudly, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? Every eye was upon me in the place. The only thing looking more peculiar than Mr. Longlock's was my crimson face and sweat on my brow. He looked up at me in absolute shock and said, if you really want to. Are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to. But God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right about then. He pressed into my heart until I could utter the words, Yes, I would be pleased to do it. But I need a hairbrush. And of course, He responded, I've got one right here in my bag. I started brushing the old man's hair. It was perfectly clean but tangled and matted. I don't do things well, but I must admit I've had the notable experience of untangling knotted hair raising two little girls. And a miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing that old man's hair. Everything else in the room disappeared. There was no one alive for those moments except the old man and me. I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of that hair. And I know it sounds strange, she says, but I've never felt that kind of love for another person in my entire life. For a few moments, I feel I felt a portion of the love of God, that he had overtaken my heart for a while like someone renting a room for a short time. I slipped back the brush in the bag and went around to stare him face to face and asked him, Sir, do you know Jesus? He said, Yes, I do. That figures, I thought. He explained, I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, You see, the problem is, I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had to have open heart surgery here, and she's been too ill to come and see me. And I was just sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I'm going to look like when I get off the plane and have to see her. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we ask that you would allow our lives to be so consumed because of the work and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf that we'd be inflamed with love for you, Lord God, that takes over our lives. And that that love would bear fruit in very tangible, specific ways to those around us. Help us, Lord. We can't do this on our own. Thank you, Lord, for your good commandments that give us a good path to walk in, to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.